0: Living in Babylon from Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 to 8 and this is our first part 1 in our series on the book of Daniel. So we are going to be looking at this book for the next few weeks and and months and uh, it is an important book because even though it was written 2600 years ago, many of the topics, many of the subjects that are brought up in it are very much issues that we are facing today. What are they? The pride of man, the battle between belief and unbelief, the events that are shaping our history, the wheeling and dealing between powers, one country invading another, in fact, it's, it's been said that this book gives us a, a clearer understanding of history than any other book in the Bible. This is because, ultimately, irrespective of appearances to the contrary, it is God who is in control of human history, not humans. God, in His sovereignty, allowed... Nebuchadnezzar to defeat Judah. He then places these bright boys in the centre of the most powerful kingdom of the day. And we will see how they and also us can live for God in a secular society which we call Babylon. What is it like to live in Babylon? So let's go through our passage this morning. First of all, delivered to the enemy, verses 1 and 2. Again, we read these verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. In case you didn't get it, I'll repeat it again. And the Lord protected Judah against Babylon, but God wasn't good enough. He just wasn't powerful enough. Is that what we read? No, what we read is that he delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his own people. He delivered his own people into his hand. And not just that but along with some of the articles holy separated articles from the temple of god god delivered them handed them over and these he carried off to the temple of his god in babylonia and put it in the treasure god in the treasure house of his god so the year historically just to place you there historically The year is 605 BC and the world is in chaos. Two world powers, Egypt and Babylon or the the Chaldeans. Uh, Egypt and Babylon, an old one, Egypt and an emerging one, Babylon, are fighting it out for supremacy. The Egyptians have attempted to invade Babylon but a young prince named Nebuchadnezzar soundly defeats the Egyptians in the famous Battle of Carchemish. You can read about it in ancient history. Not satisfied with his his victory, he pursues the Egyptian army all the way down to the Sinai Peninsula. The the, the victory was complete. On On his way back, he conquered those territories that were formerly aligned or submissive to the Egyptians. So he now takes them over along with the furniture and the people. Those who had been loyal to Pharaoh now are going to be loyal to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for quite a lot of years. He was very powerful. He will invade them again in 597 and 586. And you're saying, how come you're going backwards on the years? Isn't history supposed to be going forward? Well, anyway, until the birth of Christ, the dates are going backwards, all right? You can work it out, I'm sure. The third invasion is when Jerusalem is completely destroyed and most of the population is deported to Babylon. That is the big one. But it's interesting, isn't it, how God allowed this pagan foreign nation to conquer his own people. Why did he do that? It was a consequence for their sin and for their disobedience. He warned them, he told them again and again in his book through the prophets, and you're saying, This is what's going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. Because the, the Jews thought that despite their disobedience, despite their sinful lifestyle and all that, they thought they could get away with it, that God would protect them irrespective of their immoral behaviour. Surprise, surprise. The inhabitants of Jerusalem must have felt completely abandoned by God as they watched the Babylonian army besiege the city and walk right into the temple, desecrate it, and take the articles used to worship their God. They just took it. And these were transferred, the ultimate insult is that they were taken, they weren't put into a storehouse somewhere, they were actually put in his own temple. As a demonstration that their gods were more powerful than the the Hebrew God, the Jewish God. It appeared that the heathen gods had triumphed. And therefore You you see what's happening there in Habakkuk chapter 1. That's part of the background. There are other background passages that we will look at in our series. But that's the the mindset. How is it, Lord, that you can allow a foreign, godless, proud, evil nation take over a godly one? And I say godly one because they were supposed to be but they weren't. And the ultimate blow came as, as as the officers rounded up the best and the brightest of the Jews and marched them right, right out of Jerusalem and took them back to Babylon. Kidnapping, I don't know, exiles. They just took them, no permission. Four of these exiles were young men possibly teenagers or late teenagers, let's say. The goal was to retrain them, indoctrinate these young minds so that they would forget who they were, where they came from, and now walk and speak and worship the idols just like the, the Babylonians. You see... <coughs> We live in a world very similar to Babylon. Our children are growing up in a culture that contends that they are nothing more than a product of evolution. There is no ultimate meaning or purpose to life other than to eat, drink, be merry, do your duty until you're useful, and then we will terminate you and die. Either die or we will terminate you. That's the whole purpose of euthanasia. A culture where it is better to be, apparently it's better to be immoral and rich and famous than being poor, honest and ignored. The worst thing you can do on social media is being ignored. You want to get your name out there. Be an influencer. The invasion that we are witnessing has happened so quickly the last 10, 20 years with very little resistance to the enemy. It just happened. But that is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for us just as it wasn't the end of the story for these young men. Because the, the Babylonians, in their power, in their hubris, they, they sorely underestimated the resolve of these young men. Living in a foreign land, 1,500 miles away from family and anything familiar, these four young men stood for God under very, very trying circumstances. How did they push back? How did they do it? It is an amazing story, right? That's why it's here. And their lives are a great example of how we are to live in Babylon under changed conditions. And and, and no matter how lopsided this whole challenge is, God can and will use us for his purposes. So just what did Nebuchadnezzar, big old Neb, what did he try to do with these young men? Let's look at it. Let's break it down. Verses 3 to 4, the enemies sought to re-educate them. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family. That's a key word there, from the royal family and the nobility. The aristocracy, in other words. Uh, Young men without any physical physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar knew that long before he can make them to behave like Babylonians, he must make them think like Babylonians. The first step in making them think like Babylonians was to make them learn the language, the customs, the Chaldeans' way, the Chaldean way of thinking. He had to change their heart language from Hebrew to Aramaic. And and, and again, I'll say that these boys didn't come from the poor villages or even from the middle class. These boys were from the upper crust of society back in Jerusalem. They were already well versed, possibly even memorised the Old Testament, the law of Moses. Now Nebuchadnezzar wants to reprogram them, retrain them. He sought to fill their minds with Babylonian philosophy, science, astrology, the Babylonian religion. He would seek to re-educate them and to replace the things of God with the value system of Babylon. The Chinese are doing that, so they call it re-education camps. We used to call them concentration camps. But anyway, this is for all of those who resist the system. But don't worry. This is something that will happen in the West as well. If you don't agree, this is what's going to happen. Today we are seeing a a shift in language, a redefining of terms so that we can gain a better understanding and be more, more open to one another's viewpoint. Some, some of it comes under the, the title of political correctness. Husbands and wives are now calling each other partners. When did that start? This is to accommodate the increasing number of those who are choosing not to marry but simply to live together. So we don't discriminate between those who are concubines. Remember that old term? Husbands and wives. Homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle. Those who oppose it are mean. They are homophobes. Drunkenness. Drug addiction is a chemical dependency. Substance abuse. Abortion is pro choice. People can choose their genders and the personal pronouns by which they are referred to. You can call me they now, thank you. Or them. How many of just just me, right? Just to be singular. Male. Right and wrong, no longer black and white but it's a matter of interpretation, even grey. The mention of God removed from every reference in our education and political arena. We are witnessing how they have invaded our public education system from primary or even before primary, I reckon, right up to university. University the curriculum is no longer based on history or English or the sciences. It's all up for questioning according to one's agenda. Even history is revised. You don't need to learn English because the language constantly changes. The sciences, you know, biology, male, female, well that's all up for grads, isn't it? Some of the things that are taught are subtle while others are more overt but let's not just blame the, the education system it's there obviously and they have a big influence but the other influences that come right into our homes into our cars into our workplaces are the music, the lyrics movies social media television and finally, a lot of these behaviours become law and are protected in law by the government, and anybody who stands up against it is breaking the law. Babylon has invaded the West. Hasn't wasn't done through armies, wasn't done rape and pillage. Our kids weren't taken hostage like is happening with the girls in Nigeria and other places like that. They've come into our home. We've, we've let them come in. What else did he did Nebuchadnezzar do? The enemy sought to change their lifestyle. Verse five. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table they were to be trained for 3 years and after that they were to enter the king's service so if education wasn't enough to to bring about the change then a new lifestyle would seduce them to join in this is all part of the process which is often known as conditioning Nebuchadnezzar gave them a portion of the royal delicacies of Babylon that he indulged indulged in, along with the wine which he drank. He sought to to pamper them with the pagan culture, to entice them to to develop an appetite for these things and therefore change their lifestyle from what they were used to. Again, I will remind you that these boys came from the, the royal aristocratic part of Judah. So they were not unfamiliar. So a lot of these other stuff that they were enjoying in the palace weren't stuff that they were unfamiliar with back home. And that's a good thing. So they weren't going to be easily seduced by this new stuff because I said, well that's just like, you know, we used to have this stuff at home. The way that marketers or marketeers sometimes break a new product into the market is by offering you a free-tasting sample in the malls and the streets. You've noticed that, right? That's the, they sell you the product. That's a, a very harmless way to do it. If people like it, they develop an appetite for it and then you have a customer, hopefully a continuing customer. Cars. In, you watch the ad for selling cars on television from 20, 25 years ago. It used to be, right? The the ability of the they 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 said to you, it's V8, it's you know 4.8 liters. It'll get you from A to B. It's reliable. It used to go on about, you know, the, the old car ads. You know what they were like. Now, the car ads are about a lifestyle. It's about the, you know, no longer about the, the shapes of the car and, and all of the, the... It's all about the radio. And it's all about the, the I don't know, the, the Wi-Fi, the, all these gadgets and everything else, because they, suddenly they, they're not selling... They're selling you something else about the car. And and, and enough and a taste of it, so then when you go to the showroom, they will sell you the rest. That's what car ads are like today. Seducing you through something very, very small. And they know this. This is how they do it. They're selling you travel. Get a plane ticket to travel the world. They don't tell you that when you get to the airport, you have to wait three and a half hours, checking your luggage, you come back home and your luggage is still travelling. Five weeks now, my luggage is enjoying somewhere. I'm back home already. still hasn't come back. doesn't want to come back. It doesn't tell you the hours of waiting at customs and trying to get through. You miss flights and all of that. No, they have to sell you the, the luxury of travel and the beauty of the destination you're going to. Smokers will tell you that the first cigarette was free. The rest of the time you had to pay for it. Drug addicts will tell you that the first shot was free. And once they got you hooked, you couldn't let go. What about in sex? Sexual behavior—they hook you in, and then you have to keep going to fit in. It's a change of lifestyle. Can you see all the temptations? This world—it's it, it, right around us. The enemy seeks to change your lifestyle. Then, in verses sixty-seven, the enemy. Seeks to change your loyalty. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. These four guys had names which reflected their Hebrew heritage and their ties to God. Their names had the names of God in it. Daniel, God is judge. Hananiah, God is gracious. Azariah, God is my help. Mishael, who is like God. And and then they proceeded to change their names relating to the gods of Babylon. And they had many gods. Belteshazzar, Bel will protect. Shadrach, inspired by Aku. Aku is the moon the moon god, Abednego, servant of Nebo or Venus, Meshach, who is like Aku, the moon god. Our youth are also targeted so that they change their identities. The pressure comes in different ways. Is to be pressure about Nike. Now you get a, you, you wear the free logo in front of you. That's free advertising, and the kids are paying eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars to wear Nike. They should be paying you to wear their advertising. No, you do it for free. Branding, right? It, it, how then? <laughs> I'm just giving you one example, but this is happening right around. In the face of these seemingly overwhelming challenges, what, what did these boys do? How did, they, how did they do it? Well, verse 4, they stood out. They stood out. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Some of these were natural talents that they had, that God had given them. And others were talents that they developed. Some of them were gifts, some of them were the talents, is a better way to put it. There were a number of things about these guys that made them stand out and and be noticed by the chief of the officials. We must assume that these four were selected from a a vast group, right? And and, and no, it wasn't just their good looks, although it highlights it here, doesn't it? They could have protested in their anger and, and grief from the fact that they were taken from their home from their family, and sitting, you know, 1,500 miles away, they could have been angry and and grieving this whole time and and decide that they will have absolutely nothing to do with this tyrannical power, power that had kidnapped them. If you want to kill us, kill us. Fine, we're not doing anything you ask us to do. They could have said that. No, they chose to excel in ability to learn and in service. They stood out. When someone does not conform, they are in fact standing out from the rest. They stood out. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, to 2 Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, Paul said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you will know what God wants, how he wants you to live in these difficult circumstances. His good, pleasing and perfect will. We need to stand out. We need to be people who don't just follow the Greek philosopher, you know his name, Mediocrates. You can't just let Mediocrates be your standard for how you do things. We need more Christians to excel in business in academia, in sport, in politics, in music and arts and even in entertainment. We need that. You need to pray for our young people, for our young adults, for our young families. We have a wonderful group here who lead us in worship. They, they excel in their own area at, at school and at university. Continue to pray for them, that God will protect them, that they will not conform to the world, but they will conform to God's standard. We have our very own, our very own Pearson, who's going for about four or five weeks, five six weeks, to train with the Australian Army. We have to pray that God will protect and use him in that environment. Very challenging, very challenging. That he will excel, not just, you know, be mediocre, but that he will do really well. Yes, there will come a time, and we will see in the rest of this book, there will come a time, there will come a point when our stance will be incompatible with that of what they expect us to do. Right? You, You need to know that line. For example, we've had Andrew Thorburn episode in, in Victoria. A Christian who is appointed to be a leading a club and then they go after him because of his, the church that he goes to. And he wouldn't budge. He says, that's the people I belong to. He didn't deny it. But until then, until that point comes, we we, we need to to do our best. We need to excel at what we do. We need to contribute to society, to the society we're part of. But certainly not to conform to all that they do, obviously. But we need to contribute. In fact, that's one of the calls of Jeremiah, about when he spoke to the people living in Babylon, in, in another book, obviously. What else did these guys do? They stood, they stood up together. They stood up together, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. Somewhere along the line, Daniel became the, the leader of the group, and, and the rest of them followed, but they stood together. We will see that in, in the following passages. If, if you're standing on your own, it's difficult because, well, you're alone. I'm sure that these young boys who were far from home found real encouragement from each other. They agreed on a certain decision and they decided to stick together. You need to read the rest of the chapters in order to see how how these guys fitted really well together. If you read the, the Apostle Paul and his letters, it is remarkable the number of times that the word together in the context of the church is used in the epistles, together. I already mentioned the fact that these guys had no problem being part of high society and, and they weren't too concerned about, about the, their, their teaching because they already knew what they believed in and they, were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they had a firm foundation on what they believed in. They were not too concerned about what they called them, but the fact that they changed their names because they already knew whom they belonged to. They might have put them, you know, a servant of the moon god or whatever, but no, their true name belonged to God. Call me what you want, but I know who I am. I know whose I belong to. But on the issue of food, they did have a problem. And I think the issue here had probably had to do with ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And more than likely, the food was offered to idols. This is what they, they had an issue with. For them, it was obviously an issue of conscience. So they knew where to draw the line. In later chapters, yes, the stakes get much higher. But here, they resolved beforehand, they made a resolution, they resolved in their own hearts, so whatever resolve they had, that will carry on, it will make it easier to make decisions later on. Guys, you need to have resolve. What are the things that you are willing to do and what are the things that you will not compromise? Resolve in your heart. Before the trial comes, This I'm not willing to do. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, morality like art involves drawing the line somewhere. You need to know where you're going to draw the line. As Christians... Make sure that you're not ashamed to let others know that, that you are a Christian. Stand up for what you believe, because many times, in order to make a difference, you will need to make a stand. It takes courage. It takes conviction. If you have people who you trust... Who hold the same convictions that you do? It could be at uni, it could be at work, it could be in your neighbourhood. Get together with them, pray together, encourage one another. If you are together, the load becomes lighter. If you're able to travel through these trying times together, the trip does not seem as long or as heavy as it might otherwise be. And this is the beauty of the church. This is why the church is here, so that we are able to pray for one another and encourage one another together. And in verse 8, they stood wisely. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So after Daniel and the guys resolved not to defile themselves, they needed to to find the best possible way to approach it. They make a decision. Now, how do we do this? Notice how they they weren't openly defiant, making demands for their rights, like, yeah, no, this is my right. This is according to the Geneva Convention. I can't, I don't have to do this, right? No, they had no rights, okay? They had no rights. What did they do? They asked for permission. They had convictions, but they also didn't want to put the chief official off. You know, they didn't want to put him in trouble with his own bosses. They asked for permission. What did Jesus say? He said, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We don't like snakes very much do we? Because you know what they do. And we also tend to call shady characters snakes. Nevertheless, Jesus uses the example in a positive way. In order to survive, snakes rely on the vibrations in the ground in order to detect danger approaching, to get a feel for things they don't make a lot of noise they simply go about their business they don't demand and doves you know, be, gent- be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, and doves well is there anything gentler tender, peaceful and harmless than doves Doves is a symbol of peace. Jesus said that. In other words, don't be stupid. Don't be an idiot. In language that I can make you understand. Be wise in how you carry yourself before the world. Don't be abrasive. And like I said, yes, there will come a point where you need to draw the line, yes, but as much as it is, is up to you, get along with everybody. So as, as, as we, we navigate these troubled times, we will need courage, resolve, as well as godly wisdom. Always asking for grace, how to handle difficult situations in a, a God-honouring way. The Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17. to 17, Submit yourselves for, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it be the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk Foolish people. We are surrounded by foolishness. Don't be foolish yourself. In other words, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the emperor. You get that? It's there, isn't it? Finally, while we didn't get exiled into Babylon, not yet anyway, I'll have to say that Babylon has indeed invaded us. We can do an investigation and ask how and why it happened but ultimately we have to accept the fact that God in his sovereignty has allowed it to happen. And like these boys, let's accept our calling to live for God in trying circumstances. And as the weeks go by, we will Look, a lot, lot more of what, what it entailed for them. And at home, read the rest of Daniel and, and get an understanding of where we're going to be travelling in, in the next few weeks. And may God give you wisdom, give us the understanding to, to navigate these troubled waters that we're in. Amen.